0: I you to come, 7 o'clock. All right, now, though, uh, I'm going to ask my lovely wife to come up and help me. uh, as uh, We're going to honor our graduates, so if I can have the seniors that are graduating, or, you know, I know some of you are like, I don't know, I've got some library books I haven't turned back in yet. (laughs) The seniors that are graduating, come on up here so we can publicly humiliate, I mean, honor you. Yeah, you can give him a round of applause. Yeah, we're, we're Woo-hoo. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, Holly just said half of our church, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Continuation? <laughs> no, no, sorry, sorry, no. Um, some people want to have a ceremony for everything. I figure when you're done with the mandatory part. Uh, eighth grade to ninth grade—that's just like that's not. Do you guys remember going to ninth grade? That was miserable. I was like, you were in eighth grade, you like ruled the world. Then you became a freshman. <laughs> Sorry, so I, just can't, I have a hard time celebrating that. Okay, um, I'm not going to go through and ask each one of them what they're going to do because you can do that on your own. You can go out and ask them. what now, and they'll say, I have no idea, or they'll tell you, this is what God has directed me to do. Sometimes God waits to direct them, even though there's like a deadline for like applying for colleges, sometimes God's like, hey yeah, that's your deadline, not mine. Um, and so uh, a couple of things, first of all, we, we bought, we got you each something, and this is something that was a blessing to me when I was in college, and uh, I had teachers when I went to college, so I went to a, a uh, secular school that were out to destroy my faith. They, um, they were very deliberate in knocking Christianity and knocking the Bible whenever possible. And, and this was a book that I got when I was in, in college, just kind of um, by chance. I went to the Christian bookstore and I thought, this sounds interesting. And so um, I bought this book, and mine has like chunks of it falling out because uh, I read it so much um, because I love this kind of stuff. It's uh, all about uh, how you know the Bible's true. Defending Your Faith, thats called a Ready Defense, um, and it was a blessing to me, so hopefully it will be more of a blessing to you than, like, um, a little book with flowery sayings that Holly got for her graduation, and never read it, but she's pretty sure there are flowery sayings in there. So but what I want to do, I'm going to pray for them, and um, I have a challenge for you, and this is your challenge. I would encourage you today, um, before you leave. Um, to grab one of them and pray for them. Now, for some reason in our American culture, in our church culture, for some reason it's gotten to where it's awkward to pray for somebody or it's awkward to have someone pray for you, and I think that's a tragedy because we ought to be doing that um, all the time. So I'm going to pray for this uh, incredible group of young people right now. Lord, I want to thank you for, for Alex and Cassandra and uh, Keisha and Rochelle and Peyton Michael. Mark and Josiah. Lord, thank you for the blessing that they've been to me and to my family, each one of them, uh, in a different way. And uh, Lord, the, the blessing they've been to this congregation. And Lord, we want to thank you for, uh, for having them as a part of our lives and a part of our family. And Lord, as they go out, uh, Lord, uh, Lord, we, uh, we want to send them out as missionaries. Um, we want to send them out um, knowing that they are going out to serve you and to honor you with their lives and Lord I thank you for each one of them and their their heart to serve you their heart to know more about you their desire to be um, examples to their to their peers and to uh, to those who are younger and to those who are older than them and Lord so I pray for your anointing upon them I pray that you would send that you would send them out um, in mighty power of your holy Spirit that they would be uh, anointed and blessed that they would go forth and Lord that they would not be uh, slowed down by the, uh, by the challenges that they face, but they would be encouraged and that they would be built up. Lord, I pray that you would put godly Christian people in their lives, that if they go away to college or they go away for a job, if they uh, move on to a new area, Lord, I pray that you would surround them with, with people that are going to encourage them and, and continue to uh, assist them in their walk with you. But Lord, we pray that you would direct them to a place to, uh, where they can worship. And Lord, I pray that you would put people in their lives that they can share the things that you've taught them and uh, that they would see those opportunities that you lay in front of them. Lord, I pray that each one of them, that their next step would be the step directed by you. Lord, we pray for your, uh, your hand upon them, and we thank you for them in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Congratulations. Ah, next week, the baby bottles are due. If you don't know what I'm talking about, there are baby bottles on the, well, maybe when you walked in, if you didn't notice, there's a table outside the door, and on that table we have things like bulletins, name tags, so that everyone will know who you are. If you want to be, sit in anonymity, that's your thing, don't take one, and no one will know who you are. They'll just say, who is that, who is that person? Um. And there's also baby bottles out there to support the uh, uh, Life Choices Resource Center. What? Life Choices Choices Pregnancy Resource Center. So many words. Um, They uh, are a great uh, ministry in town. And so um, if you haven't done it already, grab a baby bottle, throw your spare change, spare $100 bills, whatever you've got in there. And then uh, next week we'll return them uh, to that ministry uh, to help fund them. All right. Well... If you've got your Bible, assume the position. All right, let me see your swords. Beautiful. All right, if you've got your Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8. We almost finished Genesis chapter 8 last week. Genesis, first book in the Bible, 8th chapter. We're almost to the end. Uh, Verse uh, verse 20 is where we are. And uh, as I've been going through this story of Noah, uh, I've been trying to point out things that maybe... Uh, you hadn't noticed before, hadn't thought about before. Um, I think for a lot of us, our idea or our understanding of the story of the flood and of Noah is what we read in children's stories. And I read a lot of children's storybooks. Um, my girls and I, we try to do Bible study each night. And so I grab one of their kids' Bibles with pictures. Because if it doesn't have pictures, they're not that interested. <laughs> Especially one of them. Um, but uh, anyway, the, uh, the story, sometimes as I read them, I realize, man, they leave out a lot of stuff. And so um, the other night, uh, I was home with the girls, and Eden said, I want to play Noah's Ark. So uh, we set up all of her toys, and then uh, yesterday, I asked her to tell me the story. And so I thought I would share this uh, little story with you, maybe, if I turn this on. Last upon the time there was Noah's ark, and all the people in the world had been mean to Jesus, but Noah just build the ark, because Jesus flooded the whole world, and he fled the whole world, and they stayed in that ark. They almost went by two by two, and Jesus flooded the whole world for forty days and forty nights, and when they were caught out, he sent the dove out to see it and it was dry. And they were hopped out and all that and um, went out by two by two and and they set out a fire and and he got he found a rainbow and Jesus promised he wouldn't flood the whole world again. the end. You may have noticed that there were some parts of the story that were a little messed up. <laughs> Not entirely biblically accurate. Um, and some of the visuals maybe were a little strange. You might have noticed there was a duck and a chicken together. <laughs> a dinosaur and a... Um, a <laughs> and, yeah. and, and Pascal. So, yes. Woody and Buzz. <laughs> um... Yeah. It wasn't exactly accurate. There was a llama and a giraffe because we couldn't find one of the giraffes. So, uh. anyway, oftentimes this is what happens. We have our we have these uh, Bible storybook versions of these stories when we forget that that God has uh, given us these stories for a reason, and that uh, that uh, a lot of times they're dealt with as stories, and we forget that when Jesus spoke of uh, Bible characters like uh, Noah and. Um, and Jonah and Adam, he didn't speak of them as storybook characters, but as historical people. And uh, as, we, as we read these stories and as we talk about them, it's important that we remember that, that God has given us these for a reason. And so as we, as we read these stories, I always try to look for Jesus in the story, because the Old Testament is all pointing to him. Um, all these stories, all these things that we read about are pointing to uh, to things that Jesus would fulfill. Um, and so as we read this, I uh, just want to keep that in mind. All right, uh, let's pray. Lord, I pray that as I share some stuff this morning that you would help me as I share, Lord, that it would be... Um a blessing to people that would be uh, according to your word and that you would speak to people's hearts and encourage them today. We want to pray for the, uh, the kids as they go up to their class, that you'd bless them, that you would use the teachers to, to, uh, to bless them and to encourage them, Lord, that those kids would have a great love and passion for you and that they would uh, grow up with a great knowledge of your word and a desire to serve you and to love others. And Father, we pray those things in your precious and holy name. Amen. Uh, we're going to go to verse 20 of chapter 8. It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. Now this is, remember the last thing we read last week was that Noah got off the boat. God told him it was time to get off. Noah and the family got off the ark. And then it says in verse 20, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled the soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again... Curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done, while the earth remains seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. And so, the first thing Noah does when he gets off the ark is he offers an offering to the Lord. He builds an altar, and it says he took of every clean animal and every clean bird. And as we know from Later on, the Bible will have the, the law given, and, and God will lay out what the clean animals are. But um, first of all, this is an act of faith that, that Noah shows right, right off the bat. Noah does something uh, that is a pretty amazing thing. And so uh, if we look at a story actually in Luke 21, it's talking about Jesus um, and the uh, disciples there outside the temple. And he says, and he looked up. This is Jesus looking up. He says, He looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he also saw a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. But she, out of, the, out of her poverty, put in all the livelihood that she had. See, at the time when we're reading about, about Noah, Noah offers this offering to the Lord of every clean animal now this is kind of this is a pretty big deal because when you 've only got seven sheep offering one of them that 's a big percentage of your total sheep population is gone and what what Noah has done is, is a, a, a thing of great faith because animals are in short supply and of the clean animals he brought seven again that 's something they often leave out of the, the uh, Bible story books, they have them going in by twos and they forget to tell you that there was seven of each clean animal and of each bird. But he offers one as a sacrifice to the Lord. And this is one of those things, I, that as soon as I read that, I thought of this this story where Jesus says, it talks about just looking up and seeing these people putting their money into the treasury. And the story goes that the, the treasury he actually had um, was the thing they put their money in um, made a lot of noise, was made of metal, so when they threw their money in, it would make a big, loud clang. So if you threw in a lot of money, it was, you know, like a jackpot in Vegas. Uh, and when this woman came on and threw her two mites in, it was like, you know, two teeny little coins she throws in. And he says, you know, she's given more than all of them because she has made a sacrifice. She has given out of her poverty, while the others are giving out of their abundance. And it's, it's easier to give out of abundance because it's uh, rarely a sacrifice to give when you've got a bunch. Um, I have a friend, and he was uh, a youth pastor at a church that was in a very, very wealthy area. And uh, a few years ago, when the economy started to go downhill, uh, he got called into a staff meeting, and he was, uh, he said, You know, I'm the junior high pastor, so I'm down on the low man on the totem pole. But he was telling me about how the, the staff meeting was all about what are we going to do now that the economy's gone bad? Our people can't afford to tithe. And so, if the people can't afford to tithe, we've got to give them some other way um, that they can, you know, we can, you know, like, they used to give this amount of money, now they can work it off at the church. We'll come up with, like, some jobs to do. And uh, and I remember him telling me this, and he was, like, he said, I was sitting there, I was like, what are you talking about? When they had a lot of money, when the economy was doing great, and all their stocks were up, and their... You know, their 401Ks were doing great, and the income was coming in, and their businesses were doing great. Oh, they could tithe because they had an abundance. But he, but he said, I was sitting there thinking, how strange is this that now that things are getting a little tight, we're saying, oh, we've got to find a new way because we can't expect people to do what this woman did, which was saying, you know what, I don't have much, but I'm still going to uh, bring to the Lord. You know, in the, in the Old Testament, you saw the, the idea of a tithe being a tenth, meaning 10%. 10% of a little bit or 10% of a lot, it doesn't matter, it's still 10%. Uh, it, so if you said, well, I don't have that much, it didn't matter because if you didn't make very much, you, you still have 10%. Um, and so uh, this is one of those things that sometimes, especially at this time, I think in our culture... Or in our in our country where the economy is is not doing well and where some are struggling financially, we I think we need to reevaluate and say you know wait am I have I gotten to that point where I'm not giving in faith because the whole idea of tithing is you bring your tithe to the Lord you're saying God here's the first because that was how it worked first fruit if you if you had a, a harvest the first bit you you gave to the Lord and uh, so when you when you get your money the idea was the first ten percent you gave to the Lord and you were saying God I'm I'm, I'm Trusting you to provide for the rest of my month, year, week, whatever, uh, however often they got uh, paid, whatever. I have some friends that um, were cattle ranchers, and they got paid once a year. That was how they got paid. So how often do they tithe? Once a year. Now, for them, they said, well, we split it up because we knew how the, you know, the church is, and we like to give you know, a certain amount every month because the church relies on that or whatever. And that, but, but the idea was they got paid once a year, so they said that's where that 10% comes. Um, and we're relying on the Lord for, to provide the, the rest of the year. And it's an unfortunate thing because far too often we, are, we, are, we only want to give to God in our abundance. Another example, some people think they have to be really good at something in order to do it for the Lord. But what is a sacrifice? The sacrifice is saying, you know, I'm not the best at that. I'm not very good at that. I don't even really like doing that, but somebody has a need, so I'm going to do my best to fill in the blank. I'm going to do my best to give out of my weakness rather than out of my abundance or give out of my poverty. What uh, what Noah also does is an act of obedience. He offers only clean animals. See, God has a specific way that he desires to be worshipped. The Bible says um, you have to worship him in spirit and in truth. There's a specific way that God had laid out. These are the things that I accept as an offering. I don't accept the other stuff. Um, in the... Uh, the book of Malachi, uh, God is is rebuking the people because the people, rather than bringing their best to God, were bringing him their maimed animals. You know, they said, "Well, I got to offer a sacrifice to God, so rather than bringing this nice sheep, I'll bring the three-legged one that got caught in the fence, is missing an eye, and you know, a wolf chewed off his ear, and I'll bring that one." And and what he says is, "Look, why would you offer that? You wouldn't give that to the governor or to a to a someone coming to your house. You wouldn't." Offer them that, you're, you know, you're giving God your leftovers. You're giving God your junk. And, uh, and so the, th- the thing about God is that God has laid out how, how we are to come to him. And uh, when we get to the New Testament, we see that God uh, has a way to come to him. Um, it is no longer through the sacrifices, but it is through his son. Some people don't like that. Some people don't like, oh, Jesus is the only way. That's not PC. PC says, oh, all roads lead to God. All gods are the same. It's the same God. He just reveals himself in different ways. If that's true, God is confused because God has said, I'm the only way, I don't even exist. I am the moon God, I'm the star God, I'm the fish God. And which one are you? you know, what, what are you? The way to worship me is to bow down three times a day or five times a day doing this. The way to worship me is to empty your mind. The way to worship me is through Jesus Christ. Well, which one is it? Well, Jesus said, I am the way, not I am one of the ways. And, and so God has laid out his way. And if you don't like it, and you want to worship him your own way, you're not worshiping him. You're worshiping well, yourself, probably, because you're saying, I want to, I'm going to do it my way. Um, and God's, God has laid out one way, and he laid out a way, and that's the way that Noah did it. It was an act of obedience. It was an act of thanksgiving. Noah just got off a stinky boat, locked in with his relatives for over a year. He's off. It's Thanksgiving time. See, because a lot of times we think of the offerings, not all the offerings were completely consumed and burnt up. Oftentimes, it was a barbecue. It was a time of offer, an offering to the Lord, but you got to eat some of it. So it wasn't a big waste. So um, it's you know, a time of, of thanksgiving. And it's also a return to worship. The uh, world had been destroyed because they turned from the Lord and had rejected Him completely. And we're living in wickedness. And so Noah, first thing off the boat, First thing off the boat is he starts by worshiping uh, the Lord. I had a a friend that had said that when they got married, the first thing they wanted to do was an act of worship. And I thought, man, that's so cool. So uh, when Holly and I got married, the very first thing we did uh, was communion, which um, it would have been more of an act of worship, but before, during our ceremony, it was really windy, and our communion crackers blew into the swimming pool, which uh, freaked out my um, Catholic... Uh, aunt um, a bit. Um, It means a little something different to them than us, and so my cousin fished it out. My mom was like, it's okay, it's Protestant bread, it's okay. (laughs) Um, But somebody went and grabbed two new crackers for us off the uh, hors d'oeuvre tray, like sour cream and onion, or garlic and herb, something when I was like, you know, about the community, I got. The, I was like, and now I'm not thinking about Jesus anymore. I'm thinking about I haven't kissed this girl ever before, and I just ate a garlic onion cracker. It's over. One kiss, and she's gonna be like, "Oh, never again." I was just like, "Oh, please." I just hope that she got one of those and not a Ritz or something. So, um, so we'd have matching onion breath. Um, Why did I tell you that? Oh, yeah, because we we said the thing we wanted we wanted first was um, that our our marriage be about. About the Lord, that uh, it be focused on Him, and that the first thing we did together be an act of worship. Uh, and this is the way it ought to be. Our our relationship with God ought to be the first thing. Um, you probably heard it said Jesus should be the first thing on your list. I like it better when it said Jesus should be the only thing on your list. Do all things for the glory of God. So anyway, so uh, Noah offers a sacrifice for a lot of reasons, uh, for thanksgiving, um, out of faith. Uh, Out of obedience. And out of worship. We need to examine our lives, I think, and make sure that we have those things in our lives. It says in verse 21, And the Lord smelled, that means accepted, um, a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of a man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing that I have, that I have done, as I have done. Uh, while the earth remains, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. He says he will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although or even though the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. See, this is an amazing thing, what God says. He says, you know what? I just destroyed the earth because of the wickedness of men, and guess what? Men are still wicked. The outward judgment didn't change the heart of man. The outward judgment did not change the heart of man. Willpower does not change the heart of man. You might change your behavior, but that doesn't change your heart. In fact, the uh, book of Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's a pretty scary thing. that The Bible says that your heart is desperately wicked. But we know this from Second uh, Corinthians. It uh, says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is the great thing. Outward judgment doesn't change a man's heart. And that's what God says. I just wiped out the whole earth, and I'm not going to do it again, even though man hasn't changed. And we're going to see that in the next chapter, some, uh, some apparent great wickedness that goes on uh, right away with Noah's family. But that's not what changes a man. Some people, they change their behavior, but the only thing that can truly change somebody is Jesus Christ. And that's an awesome thing. I was talking with somebody just just prior about how I got invited to a, a reunion with kids I used to go to summer camp with. And I was looking at the other people that were invited, and I was like, oh man, I don't want to go to that reunion. Because I am not the person I was then, and I'm embarrassed of the person I was then. I'm embarrassed about the things I did uh, when, I was, when I was in high school, and when I was... Uh, In middle school, I'm embarrassed of the things that that I did to those people, the things I said to those people. Um, But the thing I can praise God about is that since that time, I've come to know him and that I'm a new creation in Christ and that uh, those old things are passed away, that uh, I'm not that person anymore. What a glorious thing that we can say as Christians is that, you know, I'm not what I used to be. I am a new creation in Christ. All right, let's move on. Chapter 9. Chapter 9. It says, So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air and on all that move on the earth and all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. So the animals behaved themselves on the ark, and I think God's given Noah a warning. All right, the animals, they loved you, everything went well in the ark, it's all about to change. Now there will be a dread of you by the animals. And there's a reason for this, because he's saying also, you are now allowed to eat them. But they're going to run away from you. Uh, and it, this is one of those, one of those uh, things to me, having been uh, spent quite a bit of time on a ranch with animals, that if they really wanted to, probably could have killed me. Um, and yet, um, they fled. Big, strong animals would run away um, when, if they really wanted to, they could have destroyed me. Uh, but now he says here that, uh, that the animals are going to flee and meat is okay to eat. And many of us say, praise the Lord for that one, because meat tastes good. Uh, there's a lot of debate about why. Why did it change? Uh, Some people say it was because the earth changed. Prior to the flood, uh, the the earth was much different than it was afterwards, and perhaps the the nutrients or or things that that man needed were not available in the food um, afterwards. We don't know, but we do know this. God said, you can eat them now. Uh, Verse 4, verse 4, he says, "Uh, But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it, and from the hand of man. From the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by his blood, or by man, his blood shall be shed. For the image of God he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth, and multiply in it. And so he says, don't eat meat. You can eat meat now, but don't eat it with the blood. Don't eat it mixed with blood. And this is an interesting thing. Blood is used... Uh, in the King New King James Version, 424 times in 357 separate verses, uh, blood is a sign of mercy for the um, for Israel at the first Passover. Uh, blood sealed God's covenant with Israel. Blood uh, sanctified the altar in the in the um, in the tabernacle. Blood was set aside uh, for the priests, um, or set aside the priests rather. They were they had blood put on their thumbs and and toes and stuff. Uh, blood made at atonement for God's people on the Day of Atonement. Uh, blood sealed the New Covenant. Blood justifies us. The blood of Jesus re- it brings us redemption, brings us peace with God. It cleanses us. It gives us entrance into God's holy place. blood of Christ sanctifies us, and blood enables us to overcome the devil. So, uh, as I read this, I thought, well, there's got to be a reason for that, that God said, don't eat this blood. And I, and I was looking at like what other people thought, and I was like, nah, this is not getting anything. And so I just started saying, wait, wait what does this have to do with Jesus? And then I, I started thinking about uh, Matthew 26, 28, where Jesus, at the Last Supper, uh, gave that cup that we just, uh, we just did in remembrance of him. And he said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the remission of sins. And we are able... We're supposed to drink the symbolic blood, but not the blood of animals. And I think maybe the idea is that, that God is saying, don't drink the blood, because there is going to be a blood that you are going to drink. Thankfully, not real blood, but juice representing blood. But he says, this is going to represent, you're going to have a blood that you're going to drink that is going to sanctify you and purify you and be a, a symbol of what, what you've received from my son. And so I don't want you to be drinking the blood of animals that I cannot offer uh, the things that are offered by my son, so don't drink that blood, because I have something better on the way. And uh, verse six, verse six, he says, uh, "Whoever sheds man's blood by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man." Now earlier, God established the family. He created Adam and Eve. He said, "A man shall a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife," and that was the establishment of the of the family. Later on in the book of Acts, God is going to establish the church. This is where God establishes human government. And the Jews understood this. And a lot of times I think people in our, our modern day, we start thinking things like capital punishment is barbaric. And, um, and you know, I remember seeing a bumper sticker that says, how does killing people teach, killing, teach people that killing people is wrong? Well, the point is, when somebody kills somebody, you're not trying to teach them that killing is wrong. It's not like we need to teach you that murder is wrong. That's not the whole point. The point is they killed somebody who's created in the image of God, and God has a requirement of that, and that is that uh, because they're made in His image, that uh, price has to be paid. And if someone, says, if a man or an, an or a, or an animal sheds a man's blood, um, that that his blood shall be shed. Uh, the Jewish people understood that capital punishment was the foundation of their society, of their their government. And so when the Romans took away their right to, uh, to execute criminals, they actually uh, lamented and the religious leaders tore their clothes and said, God has failed us because they had a promise in the Old Testament that said that the scepter would not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. And what that meant was that, well, what their understanding of that was, the scepter, their ability to rule themselves, would not depart from Israel until the Messiah um, came. And so they saw that they'd lost their their right to execute criminals and said, God has failed us because the Messiah is not here. But at the exact same time, there was just a little child uh, who had just been born. uh, Because it was about um, a year or two after the birth of Christ that they lost their, that they thought the scepter departed from Israel. And so rather than tearing their clothes and saying, God has failed us, they should have been looking around and saying, okay, the scepter has departed, so Shiloh must be around here, the Messiah Christ must be around here someplace. Uh, So, anyway, according to God's command, uh, blood shall be shed. Um, If if a man's blood is shed, there should be accounted for it because he's made in the image of of God. Uh, What's also interesting is in the original languages uh, in the Bible that makes a distinction between killing and murder, not all killing is murder because there are some cases um, where there is a just cause for killing such as self-defense or capital punishment or due process of the law. Uh, However, uh, also, sometimes killing is accidental, um, and that killing is killing but not murder. And there's actually uh, ways they were supposed to deal with that that they're given later on when they're given the law of what should happen if someone accidentally kills somebody, and there were places that they could go uh, called cities of refuge and such. All right, verse 8. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons, saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you, and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, and all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy all the earth. So God makes this covenant, and he says, I'm never going to destroy the earth again by water course, we do know if we read the end of the Bible, we'll see that he does bring judgment again with fire. Um, I was asked by a friend to paint a rainbow on their daughter's, uh, actually it was their niece's wall, she used to spend the night at their house a lot, and she wanted, they wanted a rainbow painted on the wall, and the words, thanks for the promise. Uh, and I always thought that was kind of strange, because for me, I, I always think, well, he's not going to flood the earth again, but he's going to judge it in fire, so, but... For her, it meant a lot that God had promised he was never going to judge the world again. For a long time, I was like, well, he's going to judge it again with fire. You know, cynical old Christian guy. Um, but for her, it was thanks for the promise. Thanks for the promise that, that you know, God, of your grace that you are not going to flood the world again and destroy the world again. Uh, but uh, when, I was, when I was a kid, I, went to, I started going to, to Sunday school in high school, and I went to a Sunday school class, and they divided us up into two groups, and they said, okay, we're going to have a debate you guys are going to debate um, against this team about whether or not God was right or wrong by destroying the earth. And he said, this team, you guys are going to debate that God was wrong, and you guys are going to debate that God was right. And so they said, get a few minutes, so we all talk. we got our plan together, and the other group got their plan together. But the problem was, when they divided the teams up, they put all the smart Alex and all the talkers and all the arguers on this team, and they put all the nice, quiet kids on this team. And so... When we got up to debate, they were like, um, "God should have destroyed the people because um, they were bad." And then the other team got up and they were like, "Well, what about people that uh, didn't know? And what about people that were like babies? And what about the sheep? And what about the goats? And what about nice little uh, pollywogs?" And you know, you know, just and they were like, um, "People were bad." And we argued and they were like, um, "No, uh." And then we argued. Uh, and when we left class, we debated so well that I left there convinced that God was wrong. That's how good of a debater I was. I convinced myself that God was wrong. Uh, rather ridiculous, but, um, but I thought that for a long time because I didn't under some, understand some things about God. I didn't understand the holiness of God. I didn't understand the wickedness of men. And that we look at things as not being that big of a deal that are the very things that put Christ on the cross. Uh, last night, I was looking for um, something I'd written a, co- a few years ago, and I couldn't find it on my computer, and I remembered, oh, I posted it on MySpace. And I was like, I haven't been on MySpace in like six years. So I went over to MySpace just for, for kicks, and, uh, and I found it. And under it, I found, um, I found a, a post that I'd written, and it was about when I first joined MySpace, and it was about how... Um, how upsetting it was to me, and how depressing it was to me, because all these people I, I joined MySpace, and all of them said, "Oh, be my friend. Come see my site." So I went, and I saw how many of these people that I had worked with in ministry, that I had um, I'd been uh, I'd led them in student chapel, or I've taught them in Bible studies, or they'd been part of my youth group. And when I looked at the page MySpace, the page dedicated to who they were, I saw just stuff that disgusted me. Stuff that when I looked at it, you know stuff that was sexual stuff, bad language stuff, glory, you know, how many of them had the picture of them like, uh, if you've ever been on MySpace or Facebook, you know the pictures, the girls that are like looking up at the camera shooting down their top, like okay, that's an attractive photo, your forehead, and yeah, delete friendship, um, the one of me and five beers, ah, party, ah, you know, and I wrote on there like, um, You you say you follow Jesus, and yet the picture of you looks like a beer ad. And If this is is who you are, then there seems to be a problem with what you describe yourself as and the pictures you show of yourself, the words that you say. There is some strange conflict, but the thing is that we give ourselves a pass. Uh, We don't think it's that big of a deal, and any time you think that some sin is not a big deal, you need to remember the cross and the price of that sin. Our wickedness is far beyond what we can even know. He says, you know, like I read before, our heart is, is, uh, our heart is desperately wicked. You know, who can know it? You can't even know it. We give ourselves a pass. We think, oh, we're not that bad. We're not that bad. But we, um, we clearly are. Otherwise, Jesus would not have had to die a brutal death on the cross for us. So um, God establishes a covenant with Noah, and he says this in verse 12. It says, And God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And this shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Quite a few years ago, I was laying in bed and I couldn't sleep, and I was thinking about this passage. And I was thinking about something I say all the time, and that is we don't serve an arbitrary God. God doesn't put details into the Bible that aren't important. When you start paying attention to place names and numbers and all different things, you'll see that there's a trend about what those things mean. And, um, and I was thinking about the rainbow, and I started to think about the colors. And um, so I thought, what would, what would happen if I looked at the rainbow and the colors of the rainbow in light of who we know that God is? And so this is what I came up with. I was starting from the inside of the rainbow out, purple. Purple is the color of royalty in the Bible. When Jesus was beaten and mocked as the King of the Jews, they put a purple robe upon his back. Purple is that that royal, great royal color. And purple is a part of who God is. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jesus is our King. He is the sovereign ruler. The next color is the blue. Now, this is kind of interesting. The Jewish people were told to wear blue on the corners of their garments. Uh, the priests wore blue. And it was to remind them of the fact that they were a heavenly people. They, came, they were not of this earth. They, were, they belonged to God. Um, blue being um, like the sky. And so they were, it was worn by a heavenly people. Worn by their priesthood. Because Jesus is our great high priest. The God-man. Green. Green speaks of creation. God is the creator. All things were created by him. Therefore, he is worthy of worship. You were made by him and for him. A a friend of mine was telling me about how they went to uh, a place where they flew model airplanes. And all these guys would get together and they would build their model airplanes and then they'd go fly them. And one of the first things they would do when they got there was that they would call out and announce their radio frequency. Because everyone would have a big control unit. And each one had a different radio frequency. And apparently what had happened another time was with that, um, that the friend had gone out and there was a, they were flying gliders. And I guess they threw them off a big cliff um, over the beach and the ocean breeze came in. They could fly them for a long time. And they were flying their glider and doing great. And all of a sudden, they just completely lost control. And their glider just, (laughs) crash and burn. And they were like, what in the world's going on? And then they realized that, somebody had just gotten out of their car and had thrown their their uh, glider up and had turned on, I guess, turned on their their uh, their uh, controller and had not checked to see if the guy over there was using the same radio frequency. And since there were two guys trying to be in control, what happened to the plane? Totally crashed. A few years ago, my youth group, everybody bought um, X-Mods, which were these little remote control cars. And we'd race them around the basement. And one time, we're racing and somebody came in and turned theirs on and somebody else's car crashed into the wall because they had the same frequency. The point being that God is our creator. We ought to be serving him. The problem is when we try to ter- serve more than one creator, we have a problem. We got mixed signals. And we end up being like the model plane and like the X-Mod and we end up crashing. We were made by God for God. We ought to be obeying and serving And worshiping only him Uh, next color yellow Uh, yellow speaks of gold and riches Um, our God is a God of abundant riches he lacks nothing your Heavenly Father lacks nothing I made a t-shirt says on it um, my dad is rich and he wants to adopt you and that's the truth we serve a God who's rich um, he is a God who loves us, which means he's not, uh, he's, he's not going to give you whatever you want. If you're a parent, think about that. Because you might be like, God, why don't you give me everything I want? Think about your child. Mommy, why don't you give me everything I want? Like, I'll give you something you need. That's what I want to give you. Because that's what loving parents do. Oftentimes we don't give our child what they necessarily want. We give them what they need. My little sister once said, Christmas is for getting what you want and not what you need. I thought she was a genius at the time. but uh, most of the time, what do we need you know what we need and what we want are different things. Oftentimes this is what happens. People uh, our, people they, financially, they make decisions without praying about them. and then when things start going wrong and they can no longer afford the lifestyle they've been living, they cry out to God and they say, "God, why aren't you providing for me?" You know, and God's saying, "Wait, I did provide for you, but you spent it all on the wrong stuff." And you know what, you're going to lose a lot of those things. I'm going to have to take those things away, and I'm going to continue to provide for you. But this time, you need to pray about what you spend your money on, where what you invest in, rather than just doing what you think is best. And so oftentimes people have a hard time with this idea that God is a provider, um, because we are Americans, and as men and Americans, we're told that we're the provider. Um, but sometimes as men, we need to get to that place um, where we say, you know what, God is my provider, I'm trusting in him. Provide for me. I'm not trusting in my job because some of you know you can have a job today and tomorrow, no job. One of the greatest oxymorons, but people believe it, is financial security. People say, Oh, I'll get married or I'll have kids as soon as I have financial security. There's no such thing as financial security. That's putting your faith in your finances. Big mistake. Orange! This is the one that got me out of bed when I was laying in bed. I was thinking about orange. Orange. Thinking about orange. I was racking my brain. I couldn't think of all these other colors throughout the Bible. You see them being the same thing, but not orange. And then I realized, I can't think of a single verse with orange in it. So I got on my computer and typed in orange. You know what what color is not in the Bible? Orange! Good guess! Orange! There's no orange in the Bible. I thought, that's so weird. All the other colors I could think were mentioned, but not orange. Why not? God left orange out. And I realized that orange, to me, maybe not to you, but to me, was conspicuous by its absence. It stuck out to me more than any of the other colors because it wasn't there. And then I uh, remembered Isaiah 55.8, where God says this, my thoughts are not your thoughts nor are my ways or nor are your ways my ways says the Lord for as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts There are things about God that are beyond our comprehension and beyond our understanding There are some things about him that we are just never going to get He is If God could fit in your head that's a pretty small guy because your head ain't that big Some of us have larger heads than others but even then that's a pretty tiny little God and so there's things about God we can't understand I think that that's the message of orange is that there are things about him that are beyond our understanding our job is to trust him not to understand everything because if you understand everything it requires no faith when you have complete understanding you don't have to trust because you already you already know red red was an easy one uh, one of my favorite things to do in the Bible is um, is to go through and look at all the, the mentions of scarlet and crimson, um, different shades of red or different uh, ways that red was made, uh, and look at how it points to Jesus, because red speaks of the blood that Jesus shed for the forgiveness of our sins. In fact, in the Old Testament, the word for crimson is the word toloth, and toloth was a worm. And the toloth worm, what it would do was it would climb its way up a tree, and it would attach itself to a branch, and it would, when it gave birth, it would explode. And it would leave a little red mark, on the, like a little red spot on the wood where it had attached itself. And three days later, that red would fade, and it would turn white like a little snowflake, and it would flake off. In Isaiah 118, it says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they were red like toloth, or red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And so God, this was a worm that they used to use to make the red dye. And so here's this great thing where he's, he's talking about red and it's, a, it's this worm that attaches itself to a tree, hangs itself on a tree to give birth and sheds its blood giving birth just like Jesus on the cross giving birth to the church, shed his blood for our forgiveness. And though our sins were like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. An amazing thing, Red, the shed blood of Christ. So God is our sovereign king, the purple, the great high priest, the blue, the creator of all things, the green, the great provider, the yellow, the one who's beyond our comprehension, the orange, and the great redeemer, the red. And so here's the question. Do you live like he is those things? Do you... Live like Jesus rules and reigns in your life as your king. Do you come to him based on who he is and not based on your own merit? That remember, when you came to the priest, you brought a sacrifice, and the priest didn't inspect you, he inspected your sacrifice. And Jesus being our great high priest was also our great sacrifice. Do you live like he's your creator? Or are you being controlled by two different controllers? Are you living for the reason that he created you? Are you trusting in Him to provide, or are you complaining about Him not providing what you want? Do you believe that He knows best and more than you, or are you the the great armchair quarterback of the universe? Do you second-guess God? Do you live like the redeemed? In other words, do you live like you're forgiven, set free from sin? Not so you can continue to sin, but set free from it. A lot of people misunderstand this and think, oh, Jesus freed me from sin, now I can go sin more, and that's completely backwards. The thing that, that he did is he set you free so you don't have to do those things anymore. It's not, oh, Jesus forgave me, so now I can go do more, and Jesus, will, you know I'm forgiven, so I can just do whatever I want. It's saying, I don't have to do all those things I used to do. I don't have to be that person anymore. I don't have to do those things because of the blood of Christ, because he died to set me free don't leave today and just kind of gloss over the questions. It's easy to do that. It's easy just to go on our, our way and not, uh, not answer. But think about the rainbow. Think about the colors. Go top to bottom or bottom to top through and say, you know what? These things represent who God is and is that who I act like God? Is that, is that what my if I go back to my MySpace, if anybody actually has that anymore, my Facebook profile, is that what people see? If this, if this represents me, is that what they see? They see somebody who lives as though they're following a God like that. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would be the ones who live in holiness, and you've called us to be holy because you are holy, and that you've enabled us empowered us with your Spirit, and by the shedding of your blood, that we don't have to be ruled by sin anymore. God, you created us, and it only makes sense that we would follow you that we would do what you've created us to do, that we would be interested in knowing exactly what it is that you've asked us to do, called us to do, created us to do. Lord, I pray that we would be the ones that uh, are willing to, to give sacrificially, whether it's to church, whether it's to a neighbor, uh, whether it's uh, helping out, or whether it's uh, doing something that embarrasses us, uh, but needs to be done. Lord, I pray that we would not uh, serve you on our terms, but we would serve you on your terms. Lord, we know that you know better than us. We know that you're the loving Father and you know what's best. Uh, even the painful things, that the uh, discipline and correction are sometimes necessary for us to become more like you. Father, we want to thank you for the blessing it is to be called to your service. We want to thank you for dying on the cross for us. We want to thank you for your promises that are faithful. We want to thank you for loving us And Father, we pray those things in your precious and holy name. Amen.